Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you today grateful to be part of this community of faith, grateful that you love us with an undying love, grateful that Christ has paid the penalty for our sin, grateful that we're called your children, grateful that we'll never be lost, grateful that we have your word that will help us become more like Christ, grateful that we have each other to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. Father, we do ask you now to do what only you can do, which is teach us by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray particularly for the men and the young men today and myself that you would impress upon us your calling to love our wives as Christ loved the church and that you would give us the grace to make progress in that that even our wives might see that in Jesus name we pray amen it's great to see everyone here today and at the end of last message we had some men telling me they had a sore throat weren't sure they'd be able to make it this week um so I'm encouraged to see that there are some men in the crowd today. Uh, so today we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. And again, we have had this incredible passage looking at Christ, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, having the word of God richly dwell within us. And as a result of that, we are being changed to become more like Christ and now we're in the home with husbands and wives in the most intimate relationship on the face of the earth. And God is calling us now to live like Jesus from husband to wife and wife to husband. John MacArthur says, in spite of the failings of the church, Christ has continually loved her with grace and forgiving mercy and thus has never become bitter because of the church's many sins. The admonition Paul has for us is to love our wives just like he loves the church, which means he loves her and he does not become harsh or embittered by her or toward her. Love is agape love. It is unconditional. It's not based upon your wife's performance, men. It is based upon what God has called you to do. Regardless of her spiritual condition, regardless of her actions, regardless of her character, a husband is commanded by Christ to love his own wife. Continually, the verb here is in the present tense, so it's a continuous action. This is something we do every day, is loving our wives the way Christ loved the church. We're admonished not to be harsh. The word for harsh literally means well-sharpened tips of arrows. We are not to be stabbing our wives, hurting their heart, and treating them in a way that is not like Christ. The word for harsh carries the idea of being critical or angry or bitter. So we're called to put off being harsh, and we're called to put on the same kind of love that Christ has for his church and for us. 
Lou Priolo in his book, The Complete Husband, lists some symptoms of men who have become embittered to their husband. Frequent arguments, outbursts of anger, raising of the voice, throwing and hitting, withdrawal, dismissed affection and physical intimacy, sarcasm, acts of vengeance, trying to get even or to hurt her in some way to get back at her, condescending conversation, treating her like she's a child, criticism, suspicion and distrust, hypersensitivity, overreacting when she says anything to us, like she stabbed us, intolerance, impatience, misuse of authority, becoming overbearing or becoming so passive that we don't even lead our family, lack of social interaction with others, loss of companionship, loss of respect, and finally, lack of kindness and sympathy. From time to time, men, we do become embittered to our wives. We're not happy with how they've treated us or, or that we didn't get our way, and we can become very selfish and focused on that, and then we begin to exhibit these types of symptoms. And Paul simply says, do not be harsh with your wife. Jesus himself says, do not be harsh with your wife. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Pastor Cole writes, when a husband treats his wife poorly and puts her down, he is proclaiming heresy that Christ abuses and puts down his bride. If he is a dictator over his wife, he tells the world that the gentle, loving Christ is a cruel tyrant. When a man abdicates his leadership and lets his wife lead, he preaches that Christ does not lovingly shepherd his church and that the church is free to live out from under his loving leadership. If a husband deserts his wife, either through unfaithfulness or indifference, or by being married to his career or hobbies, he preaches that Christ abandons his church. Another falsehood. So a married, so married Christians, our witness to a watching world is very much entwined in our relationship with our wives. Again, the relationship between husband and wife is between Christ and the church. The wife plays the role of the church. The husband plays the role of Christ. And so how we treat our wives pictures to our children and to a world out there how Christ treats his church. So we want to make sure we're all about the gospel here, aren't we? We're all about getting it right here, aren't we? But this picture calls us as men to live like Christ. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to talk about that. John Piper says, Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership with provision and protection in the home. So men, Paul is very helpful to us here. We have two parallel passages. We have Ephesians 5, we have Colossians 3. Ephesians 5 is quite a dialogue of this whole passage from verses 21 to 33. In this passage, he gives us two verses, one for the wives, one for the husbands. He gives us not 10 commands, he gives us two. That's helpful, isn't it? We need simple. Husbands are called to be loving 
leaders. That is our calling, men, to be loving leaders. And it doesn't come naturally. First, love is a priority. Notice Paul, of all the things he could have commanded the husband to do, he commands him to love his wife. His primary responsibility is to set the atmosphere of love in the home. He doesn't tell the husband, exercise authority over your wife. We would have loved to have heard that, wouldn't we? Take control of your home. Rule with an iron fist. He doesn't give us that command. It's not about authority. We do have authority. God calls us to use it. But right now, he's calling us to love our wives just the way he loves us. Husbands are never commanded to rule their wives, but to love them. Isn't that interesting? The Bible never says, husbands, take steps to ensure that your wives submit to you. Now, isn't that amazing how we take that command, even though it's not there, and try to implement it? We're good at that, aren't we? We implement the things God hasn't commanded, and the things he has commanded, we don't seem to get around to. Husbands, you should make it easy for your wives to submit to your leadership. Your goal as a husband is that your wife will delight to submit to your leadership. That is the goal. And her goal is that you will, that, 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 Uh, Your goal is that she will delight to submit, and her goal is that you will delight to lead so that there'll be loving leadership and delightful submission in the marriage. It's interesting that Christ has this same picture for the church. He wants loving leadership in the church. He wants loving leadership in the home. In 1 Peter 5, 3, he says, Do not domineer over those in your charge. He's talking to the elders. 1 Peter 5, 3. But be examples to the flock. Strong admonition to elders to lead by example. And not not with the club. Isn't it interesting that men have to be able to have their household in order before they become an elder? Because if a man can't lead his household without the club, do we think he's going to come in to be an elder and not rule without the club? So it's not, he's not commanding us to exercise our authority, even though we have it. It's obvious from the previous verse that wives are to submit to their husbands. Secondly, he's not simply telling us to, to provide for our family materially. In America, a lot of men... They see their primary focus is providing and providing us a comfortable living and a home for their family. That is important. That is part of love. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if a man will not provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So that's a valid expression of love. But that's not what Paul's calling for here. He really wants the husbands to love their wives and relate with them in a loving way. Secondly, not only is love the priority, love is possible. This incredible challenge to love as Christ loved, Paul says is possible. How do we know that? Because he commands it. 
And we know this, God never commands us to do something unless he gives us the power to accomplish that. Isn't that encouraging? Well, Lord, that's a pretty high mountain we have to climb. Mm Mm-hmm. But I've commanded you to do it, and by my grace, you will be able to do that. Notice in these two parallel passages, we have Colossians 3 and we have Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, we have this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the command. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he tells us, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Children obey your parents. Parents do not be harsh with your children. Employees serve your, your, your employer wholeheartedly and, and masters take care of your servants or your slaves. He says, basically, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be able to carry out all of these requirements. Now, he doesn't say be filled with the Spirit in Colossians 3. He says, let the word of God dwell richly within you. Really similar concepts. If the word of God's dwelling richly in you, the spirit of God is using that word to direct you and guide you in how you live. So really, both those concepts are synonymous when you look at the two parallel passages. So the command is let God's word dwell in you richly, be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and you can do what I just commanded you to do, to love your wives. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At the beginning of Colossians 3, we were told that as Christ died, we died. And as he was buried, we were buried. And as he was raised, we are raised. And Paul reiterates this in Galatians 2.20. He says, you are no longer who you were. You are a new creation in Christ. And therefore, you can now, not perfectly, and not always consistently, you have the ability, by the grace of God, to actually love your wives the way God wants you to. Remember what happened in the fall? Because of sin, the woman's desire was to control her husband, and the husband's desire was to rule over his wife. And now when Christ has come, what's he done? He's brought it back to a situation of loving submission and loving leadership. He is bringing us back to before the fall and says, even though the fall is still going to have an effect on your marriage, you can begin to grow in your relationship with your wife in a way that pictures Christ and the church. Just as wives must draw, we talked last week about wives drawing upon Jesus' steadfast love so that they can submit to their husbands, so husbands also must draw upon Christ's love for them to be able to love their wives. You need an alien love within you that will love your wife the way she should. Emotions will carry you only so far. And then you're operating on fumes. And just as the wives look to Jesus as their model for submission, husbands are to look to Christ as their model for leadership. Isn't that amazing? That Christ models the wife's role 
And he also models the husband's role. And so we draw upon him knowing that we are forgiven and we are loved and there is nothing we can do to lose that love and so we can risk and live the way he wants us to and yet he gives us this pattern of how he leads and his pattern to lead is a lot of things. It's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, sacrifice, So Christ is our example in both ways. This is why he can tell us in, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, what? Set your hearts on things above, for Christ is, see at the right hand of God. He is our example. And our goal is to point each other in marriage to him. Always. As a wife submits to her husband, she's pointing her husband to Jesus. As a husband lovingly leads his wife, he's pointing his wife to Jesus. And as they both are pointed to Jesus and they grow closer to Jesus, guess what happens? They grow closer and closer to each other. Years ago, there was a sign on the window of a dry cleaning place that said the following, if your clothes aren't becoming to you, then you should be coming to us. Well, I think God says the same thing. If your conduct in your marriage is not becoming, then you should be coming to me. And I can help you live out what I've commanded you to do. So it's commanded, so we know we can do it. It's also commanded to men from every conceivable background. Now, isn't this amazing? There's not just a certain class of men who are called to carry this out. Every man on the face of the planet who knows the Lord Jesus, is called to love his wife. Many of the husbands in the Colossian church were saved out of raw paganism and sexual immorality and idolatry. And many of these men were married to women they didn't even choose to marry. They were simply arranged marriages and they were put together. And Paul doesn't say, well, now, if you have an arranged marriage, that's a different thing. But if you don't have an arranged marriage, then you need to love as Christ loves the church. He says what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And marriages, we talked last time, were different. The man ruled his household. His wife was seen as an object, uh, as a possession, as property to be owned, one of the Greek writers writes that the mentality of men in those days was we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for day-to-day -day needs of the body, and we have wives in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our homes. Isn't that special? So the gospel and Paul's command is a huge confrontation with the culture, isn't it? Just like it is today. In our culture today that says husbands and wives, there's no real roles, they don't have any real roles, they can live their own separate lives, they don't have to be that connected to each other. And Jesus said, no, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives and paint this wonderful picture of marriage. Three, love is portrayed as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. 
Let's hear that again. It's portrayed as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Men, when you marry your wives, you have made a commitment to put their good ahead of yours. You've, caught, you've committed yourself to sacrifice. You've committed yourself to care. You've committed yourself to commitment that no matter what happens, you are going to be there. And that your highest goal is her highest good. We're not naturally wired that way, are we? Our highest goal is usually our highest good. And we define that. And yet Paul says, we're going to redefine that. So love is sacrificial. Number one, not selfish under this point number three. It's sacrificial, not selfish. Jesus is the absolute epitome of sacrificial love. He became a man. He suffered as a man. He was rejected by men. He was falsely accused. He was betrayed. He suffered. He was beaten. He was crucified. That is our picture, men, of sacrifice. A lot of us, I'm sorry, we are a little wimpy when it comes to sacrifice. And we are a little soft upon ourselves. Christ is the picture of sacrificial love. Remember Charles Wesley, love so amazing, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How can this be, considering who you are and what you did for me? Men, if you can take that song, if that song can become part of your heart, and you stand amazed at what Jesus has done, you will then, by the grace of God, have the power to, in small ways, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, most men would say, if given the situation, they would die for their wives. We will say that. However, the challenge for us is not the point of throwing ourselves in front of a bullet or getting in front of a, a, a thief. It is that we are called to die daily to our desires and to serve our wives in a way that is for her best interest. Lloyd-Jones says the real cause of failure ultimately in marriage is always self and the various manifestations of self. Our constant challenge is to replace self with Christ and to have his desires as our desires. Many husbands, one writer said, know nothing in daily practice about laying aside their rights, their comforts, their pleasures, their pursuits, or their time for the sake of their wives. All of us in this room, men, have a ways to go in this command to love our wives. We all do. We all tend to be too self-focused at about our agenda and our plans. And so as we're going through this, as the Spirit of God moves through the Word of God to speak to you, let's 
by God's grace, repent. Let's, by God's grace, move forward to bring glory to him and blessing to our wives. If you turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, we have a situation here where the disciples are trying to find out who's going to be the leader. Uh, James and John actually got their mom involved. You know it's serious when mom gets involved. And mom's over here pleading the case in certain passages. But in Mark 10, 42 through 45, I want you, Jesus defines leadership. He defines loving leadership. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, they domineer, they dominate, they rule, they use their power and they control the situation. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Listen to what Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. If you want to be great, Jesus says, be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. What radical statements these are. Absolutely radical statements. And then listen to what he says. This is not Jesus' command for you guys to do this. I've got a different plan because I'm the son of God. He then says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Men, we are, no, we are more like Jesus when we are in a servant mode in our family and with other people than we are when we are in triumphant leadership over some great project. And Jesus chose to serve by washing his disciples' feet, which is unbelievable. Unbelievable that the Son of God would wash the feet of his disciples. Jesus sets a picture for us of humility in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Humility is to count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you are to look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then he goes into this beautiful hymn of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became a man and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, and became obedient to death on the cross. Jesus blazes the trail in servant leadership. There is no one who is a close second. He is absolutely unbelievable in his servant leadership. John Stott explains, if headship means power in any sense, then it is power to care, not to crush. Power to serve, not to dominate. And in all this, the standard of the husband's love is to be, guess what? The cross of Christ, on which he surrendered himself even to death in his selfless love for his bride. We're constantly drawn back to the cross. We're constantly drawn back to Christ, men, 
if we're going to get this right. Love is not only sacrificial, it's sanctifying. What's our purpose in loving our bride? To help them become more like Jesus. Love is sanctifying, not just aimless. We're not just floating through life in a relationship of love, and there's no real purpose for it. There's a purpose. It's a sanctifying purpose. In Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, he says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's what Christ came to die for, that we would be holy and blameless. And we are declared that positionally, but now we're living this out in our lives and we have to begin to live it and and let it be a reality. And so he's calling husbands to help sanctify their wives, just like wives are being called to help sanctify their husbands. We talked last week about dealing with husbands' sins. And we're going to talk about men dealing with wives' sins. Loving your spouse is not to love her as a saint. She is a saint, positionally. But to love her as a sinner, because she is a sinner. And so are we. Men, you've married a sinner. And she's married a sinner. And you both need each other to become more like Jesus. Marriage reveals everything. It reveals her weaknesses. It reveals her worst inconsistencies. It reveals the sin that no one else can see. And guess what? It does the very same thing for you, doesn't it? We're both kind of laid bare there, aren't we? And our spouse knows who we are better than anyone else. And it's not pretty. But by God's grace, he loves us. And his love is steadfast. And our love for our bride should be the same, steadfast. And her love and commitment to us should be steadfast as we both reflect Christ's love for us and for them. Jesus lovingly led his disciples in several ways. One, by example, men. One way you're going to lead your family and your bride is by example. If you're here today and you're listening to this message and you're zoned out, and your wife sees no traction on you trying to do anything to apply this message, but you want to make sure she applied last week's message, it's not going to fly, is it? Do we lead by example? Jesus led by teaching. He led by serving, and he led by intimate fellowship with his disciples. I mean, it's amazing to me that Jesus lived with these men for three years. And they weren't at the Hilton on the Sea of Galilee. He lived with them. He had no place to lay his head. He walked with them in the dusty roads of Israel. And he talked with them and he shared with them. And he became their friend. Men, we're called to be an example. We're called to teach our wives. We're called to serve 
our wives and we're called to know our wives and for them to know us and for us to be real about who we are. Man, your job is, one of your jobs is to sanctify your wife. Well, how are we going to do that? I have a few suggestions. Number one, be committed to a local fellowship of believers. I didn't say just come to church on Sunday. I said be committed to a local community of believers where you are living life together regularly. And where your bride is hearing the word taught and you are hearing the word taught. And you have fellow believers who are praying for you and encouraging you. And, oh, they see a sin hanging out and they go, hey, I'm concerned about that. Let's, let me pray for you. Let me see if we can help. And living in community with each other. That is a huge thing in bringing sanctification to your bride. If you forsake the assembly of the church... If you're here every third Sunday and that's all you're here, you are completely missing one of the most sanctifying opportunities you have. Not only for your bride, not only for yourself, but also for your children. And may I just say as an elder, we need to become more committed to each other. I'm saying that about myself to you and and everybody to each other. We need to have a deeper level of commitment to the community of faith. I love you guys. I love being with you. And I look forward to us being together closer and closer and closer. Sharpening each other, growing with each other, forgiving each other, loving each other, moving forward for God's glory and his grace. Another suggestion, read and study the word together in your home with your bride. Take the sermon, take the notes you've taken and talk about it. That's helpful in the home. We can always do this more. Three, graciously point out her sin to her. Graciously. And here's a shocker, allow her to point out your sin to you. doesn't go just one way. It goes both ways. Three, as we're dealing with each other's sins, always point her to Jesus, steadfast love and his grace. It's not one of these things, okay, honey, we got to work harder at that. That's, that's not good. We got to work harder. Without the grace of God, you can work as hard as you want. You're not going anywhere. Point her to Jesus. Have her trust Jesus alone for grace to change. And the same for her, ladies. Point your husbands to Jesus and the grace that's there and the love that's there. Next, reflect his love and grace to her even in the midst of her sin. How do you do that? You don't blow your lid. You don't blow your lid. You've had your moments where you've gone off the wall. She has her moments where she goes off the wall. Can you love her in the middle of that? 
And can you reflect to her that she's still loved and that she's still precious to you and that you're not going anywhere? You're not going anywhere. I'm here. Why? Because Christ is here for me. And I, whatever this looks like is nothing compared to what I've done to Christ. Next men model Christ's fidelity to her. Christ has one bride. He is faithful to that one bride. He doesn't have one bride that another one over here he has for, for his own little pleasure and all this and that. He has one bride and he's faithful to her. So man, how do we do that? We be very careful not to flirt with other women. We establish no friendships with other women unless our wife is right in the middle of that friendship. Couple friendships, that's great, super. We don't take another woman out to lunch by ourselves. Just blow your foot off if you do that. We don't find ourselves alone in any context with another woman. Most of us know Paul Washer. Paul Washer is a preacher and he is the head of Heart Cry Missionary Society. He travels all over the world, but he never travels alone. He never travels alone. He always has a man with him wherever he goes. And that man's job is real simple. It's not to transcribe his sermons and do a bunch of paperwork. His job is to be with Paul Washer wherever he goes. Because the last thing Heart Cry Ministry needs is for Paul Washer to be caught in immorality. The last thing Paul Washer needs is to be caught in immorality. The last thing Paul Washer's wife needs is to be caught, for him to be caught in immorality. Men, be faithful. Do not put yourself in situations with another woman where you're by yourself or entertain flirtatious conversation. That's just the beginning of what leads to a disaster. And the, the, the horrible thing is you're preaching a different gospel because Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is faithful to you and to me forever. God help us, men, to do that. Three, love is initiating, not dependent on a response. Your responsibility, man, is to do what you're supposed to do, not waiting for your wife to be loving and fun and pleasant and adoring you all the time. Whatever condition she's in, a lot of times the condition she's in is because of you and me and how we haven't handled things right. But we are to love her. Just like we told the women last week, women, you're called to submit whether he should be submitted to or not, obviously not in the areas of sin. You'll have times in your marriage when you must obey Christ in your role while your spouse is not carrying out their role. This is the amazing thing about marriage is men, you can carry out your role, rain nor shine. Doesn't matter whether she's in a great mood, whether she's not in a great mood. Whether she's in sin or whether she's walking righteously, you are called to love her. 
Remember Hosea and Gomer? The prophet Hosea who ended up marrying a prostitute and God says, go back and live with her. But she's a prostitute. Go back and live with her and show the world this is my kind of love for Israel. You, are we getting the picture that this marriage isn't just about us? It's not just about us, it's about him. It's about our bride. And we get the benefit of that by his grace to be transformed into the image of Christ. For love is unconditional, not conditioned on performance. Again, your love isn't based upon whether she's loving. loving. You're not loving a lot of the time. I'm not loving a lot of the time. It's not based on performance. And guess what? Your relationship with Christ, you don't measure up to Jesus. You don't ever measure up to be worthy of a relationship with Jesus. He loves you where you are. He loves you where you are. He loves you where you are. Men, you're called to love your wife where she's at. I have a dear friend of mine. We got married close to each other. And I thank God for my wife for a whole lot of reasons. This man, from the wedding night forward, walked into a living hell. This woman had psychological issues. She at one point thought that she was the child of JFK and Marilyn Monroe. He's trying to raise four children. He was at our church. Eventually had to leave our church. I never understood why until later on. This man stayed faithful and held his home together by the grace of God. That's what we're called for. We're called to live this out. Hopefully you're not married to somebody who thinks they're the offspring of Marilyn Monroe and JFK. Let's face it, we all live in a fallen world, right? Love's a total sharing of life. They're not two independent lives anymore. The Bible says we are now one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. And they need to live together. Next, love is a permanent commitment, not a temporary arrangement. You know, working for College Plus, I, I peek inside a lot of homes. I'm on the phone with people, and I'm, I'm talking to them, and I'm getting a picture of their home. A lot of it's very encouraging. I remember one family, I had an appointment set to talk about what College Plus does and all that. And when I called, um, the mom was kind of reserved, kind of back, kind of quiet. We started talking about things. She said, you know, I don't think we can do this right now. I said, um, okay, kind of what's, what's going on? Uh, my husband just left us. Okay. Married 25, 30 years. Just left. 
I thought that was, I thought that was shocking. I had one this year where I called. The woman's in tears. This is Paul with College Plus calling for our consultation. <clears throat> she said, we're not going to be able to do this right now. My husband just committed suicide. Men, love is permanent. Love is permanent. No matter how bad it gets, love is permanent. We don't check out. We don't check out for eternity. By the grace of God, it's for life. It's for good. It's forever. And if you're here today and you feel like one of those two options might be one of your options, please see me. Please see me. We would love to help. Okay? Seven, love is a growing, exclusive intimacy. It's not a casual relationship. This relationship you have with your bride is growing in intimacy. Man, communication. To help intimacy grow, women have to have communication. Communication is like water. You don't want her wilting. We have a reputation at the Renfro House that if a plant comes into our house, it's doomed. Okay? You can almost see the leaves shaking when they come in going, bad things happen to plants in this house. Our wives, man, some of us, our wives are dying. They are literally, if they had leaves, they'd be shriveling up because we do not communicate with them. Nearly enough. Why? Because we don't need it as much, do we? Or we don't think we do. And so if it doesn't affect us, we're good to go, right? Men, your wives need you to talk to them. Daily. Daily in their lives. Spurgeon was a very busy man. He had an incredible travel schedule. He had a lot of demands on his life. But this is one thing he did. He committed himself to write his wife a letter every day he was gone. Every day he wasn't there, he would write her a letter. Because he quickly understood that she needed to know that he was thinking of her and that he wanted to be with her. At one point she said, listen, honey, I really, I don't know how the conversation went. But she basically said, you've got too much to do to have to write me a letter every day. It's okay. It's not a problem. And this is what he had to say. Every word I write is a pleasure to me as much as ever it can be to you. Don't fret because I write you so many letters. It is such a pleasure to tell out my joy. A lot of us need to dust off the stationery and we need to drop our wife notes letting them know we love them and that we appreciate them more than we do, man. Maybe it's sending an email or leaving a handwritten note at the house. 
Maybe it's calling her in the middle of the day just to say, hey, I'm just thinking about you and I love you. Reminding her how much you appreciate her and all that she does. And then, of course, scheduling times to go out together and to take her out. Men, don't be like the Midwest farmer who laid down one night with his wife in a storm and the tornado came in and suddenly pulled the roof off and sucked their bed out of the house. And she's crying and crying and he's, he's hanging on the bed and he says, honey, don't cry right now. We can't do that right now. It's going to be okay. She says, I, I can't help it. I'm just, I'm just so happy. He goes, what are you talking about? He said, this is the first time we've been out in 20 years. <laughs> don't be that man. <clears throat> Take your wife out. Men, it's not the big things. Those are helpful. It's the small little things that let her know every day that you think about her and that you love her and that you want to be with her. God's given us this amazing book that tells us that he loves us. He loves us. He's preparing a place for us for eternity. And he's come to live inside us by the Holy Spirit. Communicate that to your bride. And men, we need to work <clears throat> on building her up. <clears throat> a lot of us can get upset and we can tear our wives down. Our wives down. Instead of being harsh, let's build our wives up. One time Winston Churchill was at a formal luncheon. And they asked the, the distinguished guest to answer this question. If you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Everybody went around, they had asked, and they were giving their answers. And he was having time to think about this. And so when it came his turn, he said, if I could not be who I am, I would most likely like to be, and then he kind of reached over and grabbed Clemmy's hand, Mrs. Churchill's second husband. Home run. <laughs> are we building our wives up, men? Or do usually what they get from us is being torn down? Our wives are like a, a plant and they need to be watered and they need to be loved. You know, a picture paints a thousand words. And as we close, there's a true story that happened probably 10, 15 years ago. Robertson McQuinlan was the president of Columbia Bible College. He had been there for years and years, a very successful tenureship as president. In the 1980s, his wife, Muriel, began to take on the first stages of Alzheimer's. And as the years went by, it began to progress and deepen in, his, in her life. And he was carrying on his responsibilities at the college, and he was also taking care of her. And he was going back and forth and back and forth. Finally, one day, he stood before the chapel there at Columbia Bible College. And this is what he said. My dear wife, Muriel, has been in failing mental health for about eight years. So far, I have been able to carry both 
her ever-growing needs and my leadership responsibilities at Columbia Bible College. But recently, it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time she is with me and almost none of the time I am away from her. It is not just discontentment. She is filled with fear, even terror, that she has lost me and always goes in search of me when I leave home. Then she may be full of anger when she cannot get to me. So it's clear to me that she needs me now, full time. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. As a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I could, I could not be out of debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. But there is more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, her occasional flashes of that wit I used to relish so, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I do not have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. Robertson sets the standard. Jesus set the original standard. Men, let's obey the command to love our wives as Christ loved the church and not have to wait to love her that way until she gets to a condition like Muriel did. Let's pray.